0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. fakaronga mai ki Hei hotaka a papatuanuku, tangaroa, me ranginui. You're with Our Changing World on RNZ National, and now... Move over peanut butter, your day as the ultimate rat lure may be numbered. A team of biologists and chemists are hoping to put the P into pest control using animal urine to develop longer-lasting ways of luring animals into resetting traps. This work on super lures is funded with a $1 million research grant from the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment. Alison heads to Victoria University of Wellington to meet Wayne Linklater and Robert Casas to talk about the biology and chemistry involved and then she joins Christine Stockham and Rosie Murds in the forest to see a field trial in action.
1: The project is to find new ways of luring Pest animals into traps. So, currently we use things like peanut butter, we use food. We do, and we've used those for many decades, if not centuries, in fact. But surprisingly, there hasn't really been any serious science behind those choices. We have used them because they appear to work. We haven't really evaluated them against alternatives. But also, more recently, the sorts of technology that are now available, and the sorts of techniques that are now available, make it possible for us to entertain choices that we didn't have before. And those are around uh, the chemical composition of animal signals that we can investigate now that we couldn't before. So what kind of animal signals? Well, animals communicate in all sorts of ways. Um, The sorts of signals we're very interested in are those signals that animals make to potential mates and potential competitors – and for us, the signals we're most interested in are in urine. So these are the come here or alternatively the go away signals? Yes, so they're sort of a come and find me or I am here, let me know where you are signals. They're the other sorts of signals used in mate choice. They're the other sorts of signals used in competing over space or resources, like food. And we're interested in those signals because we expect the response of animals to those signals to be somewhat hardwired rather than equivocal or highly susceptible to changes in context or circumstances.
0: To find out how you go about testing if urine could work to lure a rat into a trap, it's time to go bush with Christine Stockham and Rosie Mertz.
2: This is our starting point for this line. There's 17 50-metre space sites on this line and 21 above. And out of those, we yesterday chose 13, where we set up our current trial. So at those 13 sites, we set up um, a good nature trap.
0: Cause... So that's something that will kill rats?
2: Yeah, that's their rat and stoat trap. And um, we're baiting it with rat urine at the moment, so we're hoping to kill rats. So pretty much offering the animal the opportunity, they think, to find another animal rather than something to eat. Because if you imagine you're in a situation where you've got very few animals around, they've got lots of food available to them, but they're definitely going to be looking for some mates. And so if we can make them think that that's what they're going to find, or some information at least about their mates in this place, then we think that could be really attractive to them. You're using female or male urine? We're actually using both in this trial. It is was known that male urine attracts females and that they'll come back investigating the scent mark and it gives them all sorts of information about the male that left that scent mark. So they can obviously tell what species it is, they can tell if that male is healthy, what social status it has. There's all sorts of information in the scent mark and the females um, if they like the smell keep coming back to the site where they found it as well. But we don't really know yet if it also works the other way around. So we just decided we'll put both out, and we'll just see what happens. We'd obviously be quite happy to just kill females. That would be fine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, if we could make something that's attractive to all rats, that would be even better. So this is one of our cameras. So it's a trail camera that yeah just sets off
0: when something moves in front of it. Is that how it works?
2: Yeah, so they are motion activated. And their night vision, so they provide their own infrared light so that we can see what's happening during the night. And it records um, one-minute videos. Yeah, so I opened it up just to see
3: um, whether it was working, and I um, can see that it recorded nine videos. So we put this out yesterday, zero videos on it, and it's got nine videos, hopefully, of rats interacting with their trap. What kind of rats are you targeting?
2: Well, um, this trials for ship rats. So the urine we're putting in is ship rat urine because ship rats are the main pest problem in the forest. And you know there are rats around? We do,
3: quite a few. We we put out detector cards. They have uh, peanut butter lure in it and uh, a nut-based lure, and... um, based on their um, little scratchings that they do with their teeth, um, we can tell what type of animal um, we're dealing with.
2: Yeah, so we had 38 out, one on each of those 50-metre space sites, and all of them were chewed. Two, maybe three were possums, but the rest were all chewed by rats. So there are definitely a lot of rats around. <laughs> And we know um, what sample we put in this trap yesterday, and we're going to just put a little bit more urine from the same rat into this place, pretty much pretending the rat came back and marked that place again. So you're using different samples on each of the traps? Yes, we've got ten different samples in this trial, and then the other three to make up our 13 are controls where we just put out some water just to make sure they're not just attracted to what we do in general.
0: Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between your samples?
2: They're all different individuals, so five of them are five different male ship rats and then the other five are five individual female ship rats. And we don't know a lot about their social status, so some of them might actually be more attractive than others, for all we know.
3: Great. Done on the site. Camera's working. Trip's um, rebated and we can move on.
2: It's back to Victoria
0: University to hear about the lab side of the project.
1: We'd like a lure that lasts for months and doesn't degrade the way peanut butter rots in the environment. Now, synthetic chemical lures might allow us to do that for two reasons. First of all, you can hold a chemical lure in a bottle and know that it's not deteriorating. But you might also have a synthetic chemical lure which doesn't decay.
0: So you're starting with something like urine. Is this where you come in, Rob, as a chemist? So you're looking for a way of translating what 's naturally in the urine with what you might be able to create as a chemical lure
4: absolutely so urine, like a lot of naturally occurring entities is a is a very complicated mixture of all sorts of metabolites and breakdown products and so trying to to highlight and identify uh, what 's actually in that that horrible mixture uh, and then for for lack of a better term, distill it down into something useful uh, is where I come in. And so what we're trying to do then is to uh, identify the chemical components within the urine uh, and then marry the results of uh, those analyses up with uh, some of the statistical measures that Wayne's using to identify which components might be some of the signaling molecules. So, for instance, uh, we we will take um, urine of different males, different females, measure the the chemicals that are present within them, and then uh, compare that against the attractiveness of that urine, and then say, well, that compound there seems to be uh, waxing or waning in a reliable fashion with the the response we've seen from the other from animals um, um, as a signaling molecule, uh, and therefore uh, could be a target
1: candidate for us to to look. A bit more closely at
0: So talk me through how you're going about this
1: Yeah well it's a remarkably simple Process actually and and I wonder sometimes why People hadn't done it before But it is really a case of uh, Getting samples of urine And Rob takes Those samples of urine and he Finds what the chemical profile Of that urine is so he's able to Quantify the Different compounds in that urine and how much Of that compound there is And then we go out in the field and we take that same urine and we put it in traps. And we use our camera traps, or indeed the trap triggers themselves, to tell us how often and how much a trap is engaged with by the animals. And then we do a really uh, simple statistical analysis to ask if the composition of the urine predicts the engagement with the trap. And we can then associate that behaviour with particular compounds in the urine. And traditionally you might come up with 100, 150 different compounds in the urine that are of interest but only say 6 to 15 of those might actually predict the behaviour of the animal and it's those compounds we're most interested in. And so we're at the stage now of identifying those compounds.
0: And then once you've identified them, what are you going to do?
1: Depends a lot on
4: uh, what the compounds are. So the the identification process itself is a long process, and so we we first have to come up with a tentative identification, which we use our gas chromatograph mass spectrometer, or GCMS. Um, And then once we've validated that we've actually identified the compounds correctly, then we can start testing those as individual components or as part of mixtures that replicate the urine uh, signature. Um, So for example, if you're looking at um, the urinary signature of a a mammal, uh, it's highly unlikely that it's one chemical that actually is going to be the sole answer. And especially if you're looking at something like um, a a more complicated social signature, um, there's going to probably be dozens of chemicals and just the very subtle variation of one versus the other is going to be the difference between, say, signalling of a dominant male versus a subordinate male. Once we've, as Wayne said, highlighted those half-dozen up to a couple of dozen compounds, then we can start putting them out as individuals or as mixtures that replicate the rough um, uh, composition that we would find in the urine and see whether those mixtures then start to have the same sorts of, of um, properties um, that we're, we're seeing in the in the whole urine. But then, as Wayne alluded to, in that much more controllable uh, and hopefully uh, reliable and a long-term stability kind of sense.
0: So the challenges that you know that you're sending out messages, but you don't necessarily know what the message says, which is why you need the behavioural study to see if it does actually draw somebody in so there's something about it that's
1: attractive. In a sense, we're shortcutting that question. We just want to trap an animal. And so so long as our compounds, our cocktail of compounds, increases the rate at which an animal comes to a trap and triggers that trap, we're happy. And so we don't have to worry about what it means. Now, in the long run, a deeper understanding of what these signals mean might help refine the lure. But we expect, actually, that we can fast-track the development of lure by just finding the compounds which appear to trigger an animal's interest.
0: So were any rats interested in the urine lure? It's time to look at some videos.
2: We don't just watch them. We've actually got some software here that helps us evaluate in more detail what's happening. We call it scoring, really getting a really detailed account of what's happening around the, the things that we've put out. And um, we can also have it count for us how many times the animals do something. So someone like Rosie will sit here for hours and, hours and hours and not just watch these videos, but actually press the right buttons to get very detailed information about what's happening. By the way, did you actually end up catching any rats? Unfortunately not, no. And we might find out from the videos why.
0: (laughs) So let's have a look at your first video.
2: Right. So we've
3: got a rat already present at the beginning of the video. It's already in the video. So this was this motion and um, has triggered it off. And um, it's already directly interacting with the trap. So it's already sniffing the trap.
0: And it's sniffing exactly where you had that little cotton pad of urine sitting at the top of the trap.
2: Exactly. It's um, The rat probably knows that there is a smell in there and we would like it to stick its head in the bottom to trigger the trap but this rat has decided to smell the top of the trap instead so trying to get to it from the outside. So did you end up getting lots of interactions at all of your traps?
3: Maybe on an average, maybe we got 15 to 16 interactions per site, yeah. But it varies, like some of them had um, up to 30 and then others um, much lower number, yeah. So the site is important and whether there's rats um, in that area, living around that area. And um, so so far from what I've seen is that if there's a rat interacting with it, like say on the first night, it then returns uh, the following night as well and investigating the trap again, if it is the same rat. That's
2: just a guess Mm -hmm. from my side. Rats Um, tend to be quite quick and not spend a lot of time in one place. Um, The videos we've got from some of our possum trials, they spend a lot more time doing the same thing.
0: So tell me a bit more about the possum trials you've done. That followed a similar line to these trials?
2: They followed a similar structure to these um, rat trials. So also we've been putting out possum urine in the possum trap equivalent um, to this rat trial. So um, Good Nature also makes self-resetting possum traps which are obviously a lot bigger and they're mounted higher up on a tree and we've used those to put um, possum urine again also from males and females out into the forest and we took a lot of videos and um Those we've already been through. So we've got quite a big data set showing that these traps with urine are really attractive to possums and that they're prepared to spend a decent amount of time investigating them. And we've had quite a lot of possums um, stick their heads into those traps as well. But if you know the design of the good nature traps for possums, they've got a different trigger where a possum has actually got to bite and pull a trigger really quite hard. And they are very happy to do that when there's food in that trap. But for the scent we provided, um, they didn't do that. They just kept sticking their nose in. They kept licking it, really trying to work out what's in there. But they weren't doing the biting and pulling that they do um, with a food bait. So we've actually killed one possum. Uh, One very keen possum. But uh, mainly we've just got a lot of videos showing how possums interact with the traps and that they are interacting and spending a lot of time there.
0: So how does Rob determine the chemical signature of rat urine? GCMS, or
4: gas chromatography mass spectrometry, is probably the the cutting-edge tool for analysis of... Uh, volatile compounds. It separates compounds in uh, two ways. One is it's a glorified still and so you can separate compounds purely on the basis of their boiling point and so if you had a, a very simple mixture of one thing that boils at 50 degrees and one that boils at 75 where well you can just simply separate them on that differential boiling point. But what happens then if you have uh, two compounds, um, one that boils at 75.1 and one that boils at 75.2 degrees, well now you've got a bit, much trickier separation Problem. And so what the GC does, the gas chromatograph does is we introduce our sample and on the interior of the machine we have a very long fine capillary. So we have a what we call the column, uh, which is this capillary, it's this particular one is 30 meters long, has a 0.25 millimeter internal diameter tube essentially, so a very fine tube. On the inside of that tube is an even finer coating. That coating is about 0.25 of a micrometre thick on the inside of that tube. So we have a very, 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 very long thin tube with an infinitesimally small coating on it. Now that coating has a different stickiness shall we say, a chemical stickiness for different chemicals. And so the idea is that if you have two compounds that have very similar boiling points, one will be slightly stickier than the other to that coating. And so over the length of that 30 metres, you can slowly tease them apart. Even though they have very similar boiling points, one will be retarded slightly more than the other one, and they'll just slowly pull apart. And so we can take these very complicated mixtures Of compounds like we see in urine, and um, then separate them first on their boiling point, and then secondly on this stickiness. So, what
0: happens with your mass spectrometer?
4: The mass spectrometer essentially is a very, very sophisticated way of measuring the weight of molecules. And so uh, this particular mass spectrometer though is pretty aggressive. What it does is any compound, any chemical that comes out of our column gets introduced directly straight away into the mass spectrometer and the mass spectrometer beats it up. It absolutely smashes it to pieces. And so what we do is we we analyse and look at these fragmentation patterns which are fingerprints of different compounds. And so then we have commercially available libraries of these patterns that we can compare our results to I think our library has somewhere over 200,000 different chemical profiles, fingerprints. Um, And so if it's a a relatively common molecule, or even not that common, uh, we'll have a a very good chance of identifying it. Plus then the machine also gives us a measure of how confident it is in that identification. It gives us essentially a percentage score and says, right, I'm 99% sure that this is that compound. And so then that gives us... uh, a level of confidence in our identifications and even if we get a 99% uh, score uh, that's still only considered to be a tentative identification until we've actually hand on heart purchased or made the standard compound and actually run it through our system and shown not only does the uh, the, the mass um, mass spectrometric signature compare, but also the other key point is that it takes exactly the same amount of time to come out of our column. So what we call the retention time has to be exactly the same as the compound we detected in the original urine as well. So we have to have this, these two levels of identification to, to really categorically say that, that actually is the compound.
0: Did you find a big difference between male and females?
4: Yep, we have definitely noted um, metabolites that are present in one and not the other and vice versa, uh, which is what we we hope to see.
0: So you identify what's there, Wayne crunches the numbers and comes back and says it's looking like this half a dozen or this dozen. Volatile compounds are showing lots of promise. Then what do you do with that information?
4: So we're going to then take those identifications, make sure that they're validated, that we've actually, hand on heart, can say that is the correct identification, and then it's a case of blending them into, uh, up into a, a suitable vehicle, taking them out of the field and actually see whether they have some physiological relevance.
0: One of the things that I noticed when I came in to watch some of the v- video that had been taken of rats, it was drawing rats in,
1: but they weren't getting killed in the traps. Does that matter? We're much more interested in the coming to and engaging with the trap than we are in the triggering. Because actually, the the things that are needed to get an animal to trigger a trap are already well established and known. For example, something to eat. Now, in current lures, of course, like peanut butter, the lure does both things. We expect the lures we're developing to be combined with something that the animal wants to manipulate, like a piece of apple. Or maybe... Um, just uh, something that it wants to put its body or its head up against. Um, and that's what will trigger the trap. But we're in the business of getting it to the trap to begin with. What's the next step? Well, there's a whole other chemical process that is going on here too, and that is that we'd like to pair our, what are highly volatile compounds in urine with proteins. And one of the other uh, chemical parts of the study is to build proteins that will glass hold of these volatiles and release them more slowly over longer periods of time. In urine, interestingly enough, especially in rodents, and now we've shown in possums too, um, proteins excreted. Now, if protein was excreted in human urine, that person would be regarded as very sick. But a lot of small mammals like rats excrete protein in the urine as a way of signalling as well. And a lot of those proteins, glass hold of... Uh, signal volatiles, like the compounds in urine, and release them over longer periods. And we we suspect this might be our way of making lures very long-lived and making them stable. So we've got some students working in the lab at the moment to build rat proteins. And then we're going to take those proteins and we'll combine them with the synthetic volatiles and we'll find out whether they match, and then we'll test those as well.
0: Is it hard to build proteins, Rob?
1: Yes. So pro- proteins are, are, are large, complicated molecules.
4: And, but just because it's made doesn't mean that it's um, then usable. So, for instance, proteins, to uh, do what they do, they need to be folded up in a very particular way, and they, they form a, a very complicated and uh, very specific three-dimensional structure. Now, if that folding doesn't occur properly, um, then the protein is useless. And so just because you can make it doesn't mean you can make it and use it. And that's um, often a big stumbling block. And as as Wayne was mentioning, the the, the key to the the protein interaction, um, these these urinary proteins, these MUPs as they're called, um, the whole idea is that if they're folded in the correct way, um, you have a very water-liking outside and a very water disliking interior, a hydrophobic interior. And that's the perfect place to hold these volatile organic compounds, which are going to be the, the signaling molecules. And so you essentially create a barrel Type structure that will house the the uh, signalling molecule on the interior, and then slowly diffuse it out the ends of the barrel uh, over time. And by having it, the the, the water liking, the hydrophilic outside um, makes it uh, gives it the water solubility to be present in the urine for excretion. And so, mimicking these mups then will be a, hopefully a, a really good avenue to to creating that ability to to uh, use them in an aqueous solvent and, and use. Um, give us a level of handleability, for lack of a better term, but have that stabilisation on the interior barrel to give them the long life that we want.
0: So your particular interest is volatile compounds, so you're concentrating on whatever it is you're going to put inside this MUP barrel.
4: Exactly, and so I, um, my, my speciality is in the identification of, of small naturally occurring molecules, which sounds like a relatively trivial exercise, but actually turns out to be quite difficult and complicated. So when we take our analysis of urine and we um, machine our GCMS, detects 100, 150 com- different compounds, actually figuring out what those 150 compounds are can be quite a difficult exercise. Um, and teasing out the, the wheat from the chaff in particular uh, is, is quite a long process to do the machine will tell you what it thinks it is but half the time that's rubbish and you actually have to then go and figure out what it actually is trying to tell you and what, it, what actually is the compound. And that, that identity is crucial. Uh, to our process because if we could get horribly frustrated if if Wayne's statistical analysis tells us well that's the compound you're interested in but we have no idea what it is then we're no further down the path of actually being able to solve the the puzzle and so being able to actually actively and and accurately identify what those compounds are is is a real critical measure in the the progress of the project
0: That was Robert Cases and you also heard from Wayne Linklater, Christine Stockham and Rosie Mertz all at Victoria University of Wellington Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. And you can find more stories on our webpage, rnz.co.nz. Our Changing World. Kakiteano.